It's where you go to bike, hike, and stroll miles of pathways over more than 7,000 acres of parkland. A place to go explore rivers and fish their bountiful waters. Natural places to go marvel at magnificent wildlife while you play outdoors and go wander charming communities. Find all this and more at Destination Downriver. Give it a go. Today's podcast is presented by MarketInsights.us with the podcast on YouTube produced by the City of Taylor's Media Center. Thank you for the generous support of our community sponsor. When your destination is beyond Downriver, let Martinson Family of Funeral Homes help you and your family. With locations in Trenton, Allen Park, Maybe, Rockwood, and Monroe, their staff is available 24-7 at 734-671-5400. For more information, visit martinson.com. Thank you to our team sponsor, Allegra Marketing Print and Design. Let Allegra assist you with your print, mail, design, and signs. Located in Wyandotte and call 734-288-8994. Welcome to Destination Downriver for February 2023. I'm Carl Zymack. Last fall, the U.S. Economic Development Administration awarded a $1.6 million grant to support the Downriver Riverfront Community's Economic Recovery Implementation Project. This was triggered by two huge coal-fired plants that were decommissioned downriver. Announcements about this grant stimulated interest from WDIV Detroit, which featured an in-depth report on the region early last month. WDIV's story picked up on what politicians and area officials have been saying about this grant. It's a game-changing opportunity for the region. It will support local businesses in redeveloping the, the coal plant sites while improving both quality of life and local economies. In this episode, we're gonna find out what the plans and processes are for making the most out of this grant. Up next, Southern Wayne County Chamber of Commerce President, Ron Heinrich, and a couple of key guests talk about the investment in the region's future. Thanks, Carl. I'm Ron Hendricks. I'm the president and CEO of the Southern Wayne County Regional Chamber, and we're here with the monthly Destination Downriver vodcast and podcast, thanks to the Taylor Media Center. And I want to say a huge shout out to the city of Taylor. Thank you so much for your ongoing support and partnership. We at Destination Downriver are very, very grateful. So we have a phenomenal panel with us today. We're, as Carl mentioned, we're talking about the new Riverfront EDA grant. It's a 1.6 million dollar grant that's going to have some tremendous impact over the next several years in the Downriver community in terms of economic development and attracting uh, employers to our region and ensuring that we have fiscally uh, healthy communities going into the next generation here in Downriver. So with us we have uh, Joe Gruber who is our uh, newest economic development administrator with the Downriver Community Conference and not a new face to Downriver. So Joe, tell us about your experience. I know you've been with the Wyandotte DDA for many years yeah, and now with the DCC. Good morning, Ron. Glad to be here again with Destination Downriver. I've been lucky to work with the city of Wyandotte for the past mm -hmm. seven years as the mm -hmm. Downtown Development Director and now very excited to be on board with the Downriver Community Conference serving yep. as the new 
economic development administrator. Yep. One, one of two administrators. One of two. Jasmine Dancy is the other one who's not a new face to the Down River region as well. That's that's correct. Yes, our very talented co-worker Jasmine's not mm -hmm. with us today, but she's also mm -hmm. part of this new founded team. Yep. She's uh, phenomenal. Both of you guys are like the dynamic duo, so we're <laughs> very happy to have both of you on the team. Appreciate and then that. John Diodano, who is also not not a new face to the Don River region and a longtime economic development consultant, and you are a part of the team as well at the DCC. So, John, tell right, us about your, right. your background. Well, uh, I w I've been an environmental consultant for over 45 years mm -hmm. and uh, been working in the Brownfield program since its inception in the late 1990s or mid-1990s. And for the past two years, I've been serving as the Brownfield program manager for DCC. Mm -hmm. um, and I was a consultant for DCC prior to that. And there's uh, another team member that goes by the name of Tim, last name Keys. And we won't, we'll try not to maybe badmouth him too much because he's sitting right here off stage watching us. <laughs> and we right. want to be careful that we don't have any arrow shot in our direction. <laughs> but uh, tell us, what is, what is Tim's role as a part of this team? Uh, besides our fearless leader, yes. Tim is the head of this new economic development department, helping to consult with the DCC. Mm -hmm. John, it's would you fill in any gaps? You've been working with Tim longer than I. Oh, that's the same. Yeah. Just echo that. He's uh, mm -hmm. he's bringing a lot of experience. Uh, he's got brownfield mm -hmm. experience. He's got uh, planning experience and develop mm -hmm. economic development experience for sure. Yeah. And so, he's uh, really guiding us. He is, and you know, Tim's a uh, just. A, we, you know, an amazing asset to our region, as you both know. Um, and I'm not saying this because Tim's sitting over there watching me right now, <laughs> but, but I've known Tim for a long time, like you guys have as well. Going back to the, obviously he was the economic development director of the city of Romulus, he worked for uh, several years with the city of Taylor uh, and a lot of other organizations. So we're really excited and uh, you know thrilled to uh, have the expertise of Tim Keyes moving us forward as well Absolutely. when it comes to uh, managing this grant program. So uh, this EDA grant, and for those of you who don't know, the Economic Development Administration is a part of the federal government, uh, and the Down River Community Conference was awarded a $1.6 million EDA grant, uh, but also has received an allocation in the state uh, budget of $400,000 to go towards this, uh, the, the efforts here as well. And we're focusing on the riverfront communities uh, you know, as a part of this grant. Um, and it's five river, riverfront communities that go from River Rouge down to the city of Trenton. Uh, and we're focusing on the coal-fired power plants that have retired recently and a lot of other properties as well. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into this topic because uh, Joe and John, John, you know, this is probably one of the, the biggest topics facing our region right now. And um, it's, it's a challenge, but I think there's a tremendous, a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, and there's a bright future for the Down River communities in terms of what the e what economic development's going to be taking place um, in along those riverfront communities as a result of, of your efforts. So according to um, uh, to several articles out there, and of course the grant itself, the Down River Community Conference has three main goals for its plans to leverage the EDA grant. And I'm just going to name those three so our viewers know what they are. Number one, it's to create and staff a regional economic development office, which we can see evidence of that with, you know, uh, with uh, your attendance today. Develop a strategy for the redevelopment of industrial brownfield sites. And then number three, create a small business technical assistance program, which I think is another big part of that. And it's something that, you know, the, the Southern Wayne County Regional Chamber is very excited to be a part of as well. So my first question, now that we've listed out a little bit of background information and the three strategies, 
Um, we'll start with you, Joe. Could you touch on this with a bit more detail on each of those three goal goals? Sure, yeah. Yep. So and feel free to tag team sure, with John being here as well. Right. So like you mentioned, Ron, the first mm -hmm. goal identified in the grant is to establish this office. Mm -hmm. um, you were a part of the strategic planning process. Prior to applying for the grant, the Downriver Community Conference brought together stakeholders and community members from those five riverfront communities. And one of the overarching uh, goals that, that everybody shared was mm -hmm. there's got to be a team. There's got to be a group of people who are guiding this effort. And that's the first, that was the first goal listed in the grant was to bring together a group of, of, uh, of people in the field to, mm -hmm. to drive this process forward. The economic yeah. development team, which is John, myself, Tim, and um, Jasmine Dancy. Yeah, and there were a lot of, you know, going back to those early days, I guess, so to speak, um, that original group, there were a lot of voices in that room that um, a lot of diversity of thought and a lot of the, I guess you can say, key players of the region that, um, you know, are, are involved in the day-to-day -day, um, activities, you know, going on throughout the region. So I think that there was a lot of great ideas and feedback that came out of those meetings. Um, and the people that were in there, including, you know, the MEDC and other state officials, local officials, mayors, township supervisors, council members, and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting couple of meetings that we had to kind of kick things off. Yeah, definitely. It's about bringing together the experts, and I think a lot of people would share the thought mm -hmm. that, that there's a ton of energy mm -hmm. and attention and focus on this region and on, mm -hmm. this, on this issue right now. There was the strategic planning committee and then also can you tell us a little bit about the business leaders advisory council that is formed as a part of this grant as well sure yeah so that goes hand in hand with the third goal of the grant mm -hmm. and this is a perfect segue to let john talk about the second goal but mm -hmm. the third goal of the grant is that small business technical assistance program one of the needs identified in our region as the southern wayne county regional chamber knows so well mm -hmm. is to support entrepreneurs small businesses and the growth and development because small businesses really are the backbone of of our region and of the country for that matter they are um so the Downriver Business Leaders Advisory Council was a, a subcommittee or a committee that built from that original strategy team that's made up of representatives of big businesses, larger corporations, small to medium-sized businesses, people who can provide that expertise to us, to our team, um, and to the Downriver Community Conference as we build out this small business technical assistance program, which really we're going to be looking for resources to help drive growth, um, drive entrepreneurship, support innovation and and you know support people being able to achieve their dream because that's really what a lot of small business owners I, I think share amongst themselves yeah and so i'm getting my getting out of order as we already realized I'm, i went from one, number one strategy to number three um so we'll get back to number two and i'll ask john to, to kind of explore that with us here in a moment but when it comes to small business technical assistance programs um, i know we're still trying to figure out maybe what that's going to look like but um, does the team have any ideas on how they can provide support to small businesses in the riverfront communities? I think as long as we're present and mm -hmm. available, then that I think is mm -hmm. goes a long way. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of resources out there. Yep. And for, like I said, people just trying to achieve their dream, it might be harder to navigate mm -hmm. to identify some of those resources and then navigate the pipeline to get to those resources. Mm -hmm. So we want to be available. And I think that in and of itself is enough to jumpstart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like you said, you know, what, what, what does that look like? It's, it's partnerships with the chamber. It's mm -hmm. partnerships with the Small Business Development Administration, yeah. um, with Small Business Development Council, you know, all these groups that, that are mm -hmm. currently acting towards the same common goal. Yep, that's a, that's a really, that's a great point. I think, uh, 
you know, a key part of this uh, project, obviously, is is establishing that clearinghouse, so to speak, and the go-to resource for our community. And so um, to have an office that's going to be able to guide small businesses in the right direction in partnership with the Chamber of Commerce, um, I think is a, is a huge step forward that we've needed right for a long time in the Down River region. Um, and then the other, other, you, the other thing you brought up was a really good point is that we're going to be bringing together regional resources, um, you know, like uh, you, know, you mentioned the SBA and, and, and others. Uh, the city of Romulus has the new entrepreneurial uh, incubator uh, program that's, uh, I think, going to be a great resource. And it doesn't have to be located in the riverfront communities, right? We, we can utilize regional resources to benefit the riverfront community businesses. Yeah, the core focus of the grant for right now, based on the EDA grant, is the five yep. riverfront communities. Yep. Um, but much like the program that John's going to be working on and the programs that we're working on, we hope to replicate this model. We hope to build this mm -hmm. model that can be a resource outside of the five riverfront communities yeah. and the other mm -hmm. 18 to 20 downriver communities that mm -hmm. the DCC services overall. Great point, Joe. So the second strategy, John, is develop a strategy for the redevelopment of industrial brownfield sites. And this is something that you've been working on, as you mentioned, for right. at least 45 years. So yeah, tell us yeah. a little bit about that strategy. Well, that strategy's kind of grown from uh, the DCC's been in the brownfield business since about 1997, where we've gotten EPA assessment and cleanup grants uh, continuously, and we've, we've had built a, a pretty good model of that. Um, but what was lacking, I think, in that overall model is that the developers kind of have to come to us in order for us to help them. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is be a little more proactive now. So we want to um, kind of bring the story and, and, and help uh, make sites ready for developers so that they're, 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 we're not waiting. We're, mm -hmm. we're able to offer something to, to people. And maybe I, I could step back from a second and just so if people don't understand what a brownfield site is, maybe I should just it's explain a that a little bit is that yeah. a brownfield site, uh, in a lot of people's minds are just a contaminated site, but there, there's a lot of different definitions of what a brownfield is in Michigan. It includes contaminated sites, blighted sites where buildings could be caving in or that sort of thing, could be functionally obsolete. So you could have like the Pontiac Silverdome was no longer, could have been a stadium. So that's a functionally obsolete type of property. Yeah. And then if a land bank owns the property, that's automatically a brownfield. And uh, it's, so there, there, are, there are different opportunities, historical sites as well um, could be a brownfield site. So it's not just automatically contaminated site. It could be a combination of those. It could be just one of those types of things. So what's happened, what we've seen through our brownfield program is the, the larger sites like the McLeod Steels, the, the power plants, the, the Mill Street site in Ecorse, Arkema Chemical in uh, Riverview and Wyandotte, those sites have, have not progressed mm -hmm. over, over the 20-some years, uh, 25 years of the Brownfield program. So how do we get those really big sites back in play? And that's, that's really what kind of started um, trying to develop this strategy for bringing those Brownfield sites into play. And everything today is site readiness is, is the big the buzzword. And, you know, you know, Ford took a battery plant to Kentucky and Tennessee a couple years ago, and the state um, decided they needed to do something about it. So the governor started the strategic site readiness program. Mm -hmm. And so they, they have sites, Michigan has developed sites that are ready for somebody who wants 500 acres to come in and say, what do you got for us? And the state can do that. 
Well, the problem with these large brownfield sites is there's too much risk for developers, there's too many unknowns, and it's too much time to get to a point where they can say yes yeah. to a site. So this strategy is to try and reduce that time lag and to reduce the number of unknowns mm -hmm. so that one of these sites can be the next battery plant or whatever. Right. Like yesterday we heard that Marshall got yes. uh, a battery plant. Yeah, from um, Ford. Right. Yeah. On, uh, yeah. over 900 acres in Marshall on a farmland, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the antithesis of a brownfield right. site that right. could be redeveloped, yet it's a site that's ready, okay? Yeah. And we understand that, you know, in order to, to, to compete with other states, we gotta be ready. Mm -hmm. So how can we get these big sites, the McLeod Steels, the power plants, ready so that the governor can mm -hmm. take that message and the, yep. down, and the Detroit yeah. uh, Regional Partnership and others mm -hmm the chambers can t can take control and say we've got sites for you we got to yeah. get we've got to yeah. reduce the unknowns yeah. so that those sites are similar to the marshall site or other sites yeah. so let me ask you um john uh obviously you you were referring to the uh the uh, the announcement that i don't know if it's already happened or if it's coming uh the anticipated announcement at the maybe at this point the marshall battery mm -hmm. plant um and and the fact that there was a from what I'm reading, there's a billion dollars of incentives that right. were included in that package to, you know, uh, to ultimately secure that deal with right. Ford right. and bring a tremendous amount of jobs and, and economic development and investment sure. into the local community sure. in Marshall. Um, what kind of tools does this office, what, what, what would be available to this office in terms of, you know, incentives and tools that we could use to attract um, developers and, and employers to our region? Let me just start well, as the <laughs> as as the leader of the Downriver Area Brownfield Consortium, maybe you can start with one of the incentives right. okay. offered there. <laughs> well, yeah, w obviously the the Downriver Community Conference has money for environmental assessments and environmental cleanups, so we can offer that. So part of the strategy mm. is the planning aspects to get those sites to identify mm. what we need first for those sites to reduce the unknowns, and then what are the funding sources that we can go after that that mm. can help in because these big brownfield sites, like I said, are more just environmental. You've got, you've got uh, ownership issues. You've got logistics of getting into the sites. Mm -hmm. You've got site access issues. You, you, might have, um, uh, you might have habitat issues like mm -hmm. wetlands. Mm -hmm. So this program hopefully is going to identify all those issues and identify then funding sources that we can then bring to the table or have other stakeholders bring to the table like MEDC um, EPA, Eagle, um, some of those groups that have money that, that can contribute to these projects. Mm. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, a lot of times we, we did hear the announcement of the $1 billion of incentives. Um, and, and sometimes it's maybe seen in the, in the public view that incentives are, are a bad thing. Um, and maybe you know where I'm going with, with this. And can you tell us, are incentives a bad thing? Or or is there is it is there more positive in terms of attracting employers and jobs and you know future uh, economic development opportunities and community investment and things like that? What's what's your personal opinion on providing incentives to developers? Yeah, so I mean, just as John was mentioning earlier, I mean, the alternative is is business leaving is going to other more affordable places to do business. That's a good point. So it yep. it, it really is a, a leveraging and incentivizing people to stay. Mm -hmm. um, incentives are 
a way of life and a way of doing business, especially in our mm -hmm. region, and, and that's, that's the type of level of competition that we need to have. Mm -hmm. um, while these incentives might not come directly from our office, our office will be helping to identify incentives that exist yep. and helping developers, yeah. builders, entrepreneurs, small businesses mm -hmm. achieve and, and, and get those incentives. Yeah. So, um, you know, for example, the Brownfield program, Public Act 381 in the state of Michigan, has been an extremely successful incentive. Um, I'll use one that's closer to home for me is, is the Wyandotte. Build a future in Wyandotte. Mm -hmm. You know, using public tax dollars to facilitate neighborhood redevelopment mm -hmm. and offering a really good deal on a piece mm -hmm. of land for a family to build their future home for yeah. that they will live in for 5, 10, 15, 25 mm -hmm. years. Th yeah. Those are the types of incentives that across the board I think are great for communities. Absolutely. And, and when you think, you know, when a community like, like Marshall in this case um, lands a major employer like a large Ford mm -hmm. battery plant, the kind of economic impact that that has on that community is phenomenal, mm -hmm. right? And you talk about the future. Um, yeah, there, you know, there's some tax incentives in the you know, right now, uh, but you're going to start seeing small businesses locating there, right? And the right. employees want to go somewhere to eat. They want a place right. to shop. Um, people are going to be locating there to, to live and to work and to pay taxes and to the local community, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and ensure that the tax base is uh, financially healthy. Um, there's a tremendous amount of benefits in terms of recruiting developers and employers to the region. And obviously, that's what we want to we want to do here right. in the down river along the right. riverfront, um, you know, with, uh, with with this grant program and what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me, how much input on these strategic plans that, that's taking place with this office, uh, how much input will the public have? Yeah, I can start with- You wanna uh, take that on, John? Sure, yeah. with my piece, uh, a big part of the grant is for uh, public outreach and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and getting the, the communities to tell us what they want on these properties. Mm -hmm. Because one of, the, one of the roadblocks we've had for getting grant dollars in the past mm -hmm. has been the agencies would say, well, what does the community want? Well, because of all the changing administration, some of these brownfield sites have been um, in limbo for so long that you, the community may have decided what they wanted and, the, and then that administration leaves and it, mm -hmm. it changes and mm -hmm. people's thoughts on the properties have not maybe evolved as, as these things have sat vacant. So yeah. Yeah. I think that it's important, it's very important that the community gets involved in these projects. And I think it's equally um, important that when we get developers to, that are thinking about these properties to, um, they need to be part of the solution. And mm -hmm. in order to be part of the solution, they have to know what the community wants on these properties. Yep. So I think yeah. hand in hand, that's a very important part. Yeah, we, we've seen too that you know more and more often in, in the world that we live, engagement and outreach is not necessarily one point in the process, but it's this ongoing mm -hmm. kind of linear thing that happens mm -hmm. at multiple points throughout the process. That's a really and, good point. And I would tie these two together to say if you have engagement, if you have buy-in from the community, mm -hmm. then it's a project that's easier yeah. to incentivize. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and one area that we've seen a ongoing public engagement with is the McLeod Steel property in Trenton. Right. Um, the EPA has been doing a great job in constantly engaging the public as, as uh, things progress with that site. Um, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, obviously, the DT has been a major contributor and player in, in this whole project. And I, I do want to say thank you to DT Energy because um, they've just been a tremendous supporter. They've helped funded you know, the application process and been a big part of um, helping to bring our community together to find solutions 
uh, in terms of the uh, retiring or actually retired now um, coal powered fired or coal fired power plants in River Rouge and Trenton. Um, but a lot of people have been talking about the Arkema site and a lot of people have talked about the Klaus Steel site, um, and which has seen from tremendous you know, uh, things happening in terms of the tearing down of the buildings on the Klaus Steel. Uh, what, what's the future, what could the future look like um, on the McLeod Steel property? Uh, and what, do, do you have any, you know, potential developers that could be, you know, that you could be targeting or what's the, I guess, what's the idea for that site moving forward? Well, the McLeod Steel site is privately owned, so they mm -hmm. have control of the site, but um, they've spent uh, a lot of money in cleaning up the site to attract developers mm -hmm. or to redevelop it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this whole process and the strategy is going to help sites like that. The power plants were kind of, they were the, uh, the door opener for us to get the funds because mm -hmm. this, these funds were uh, strategically set aside for communities that have coal-fired power plants that are closing. So that allowed us to be, kind of get in the game. But the strategy that we're employing is, is going to go for all, all sizes of brownfield sites. It's mm -hmm. going to start with, we're going to be looking at some of these large ones, but as brownfield sites become um, uh, available, um, even outside of the five communities, this strategy is going to work for those sites as well. So this is kind of the, the, the blueprint and the foundation for uh, an overall strategy for the whole downriver region. Mm. So, but McLeod, um, so they've done a, a lot of cleanup we're trying to interact with the uh, McLeod uh, folks to, to kind of get a sense of what their timing is. Um, we're getting the, the uh, Detroit uh, Regional Partnership involved so they mm -hmm. can take a look at that site. And we're starting to get our stakeholders that are involved in our grant involved in that particular site to kind of see how we can open the doors to help get that site redeveloped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just recently, as of uh, just a couple of days ago, we saw the old Riverside Hospital is being torn down in right. downtown Trenton, right. Right, right on the river. Um, so there's some tremendous opportunity, not just McLeod, but so many other Certainly. places in yes. terms of attracting development. Um, it took years for these riverfront sites, some of the ones that we mentioned, to become blighted. Uh, Joe and, and John, is there a timeline for reclamation uh, in environmental rehab in some of those, with some of those sites? I think it's all, all across the board. Every mm -hmm. site is so different. Every site is so unique. Um, some sites have already been under remediation, mm -hmm. you know, dating back decades. Mm -hmm. So for example, yeah. the Arkema site in Wyandotte's been inactive and vacant since 1985. The first environmental remediation pieces to happen there were in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And there's still a great deal of work that needs, that needs to happen there. So I, it's hard to pinpoint um, a timeline, and like John was mentioning, ownership structure is really important to environmental cleanup, environmental remediation, and then mm -hmm. ultimately revitalization or repurposing of vacant lots. I think ownership can, can really drive a project, whether it's privately or publicly owned. I think what's safe to say uh, for these, especially these large sites, is without, without the um, influx of funding that's coming out, uh, for for uh, projects like these, um, those sites would will remain vacant for, for our lifetime, okay, and, and Joe's lifetime, mm. <laughs> which is <laughs> going to be considerably longer than mine. But um, this this um, this is an opportunity. This this is a um, chance, I think, to to really reduce 
the timelines, okay? This is an opportunity that maybe something that might have taken 15 or 20 years might take five or 10 years, or um, nothing is going to be overnight, yeah, okay? Right. These sites are too complex, there's too many issues, but if we set things on the right path and in the motion to get the momentum generated, at a certain point, it kind of regenerates itself. Mm -hmm. And right now, we haven't had any momentum on these sites, yeah. and we have to generate the momentum, and that's what this uh, grant is going to do and other funding mm -hmm. sources that will come behind it. Yeah. And some of these sites, as you mentioned, John, are, are very complex, and there's a lot that you know, goes behind uh, the discussion that you know, when we talk about the DTE power plant sites and the McLeod Steel sites and others, um, and there's been a lot of community conversations about what those sites could look like in the future and a lot of great <clears throat> ideas. Um, what's the reality of those sites in terms of what could potentially come there? I mean, I'll give you an example. Some of the ideas, obviously, that you guys are aware of, there's been you know, talks of, uh, of making those like a recreation destination, like parks or, um, or housing, you know, residential, things like that. Um, but there's a, there's a reality to the, to the condition of the soil, the condition of the, you know, the sites themselves. Um, what's what's realistic? What's real? What realistically could potentially come to those sites? You think in the future? Well, the, the thing about the large brownfield sites is you can't look at them as like one entity, mm -hmm. uh, the same across the entire mm -hmm. site of the property. So a lot of these brownfield sites, and you'll see, you even see this nationwide on even sites in Pittsburgh and other steel mm -hmm. cities, is that it's it's a mixed use because certain parts of the property maybe unusable for residential, but they might be usable for industrial. Right. And certain parts might be clean enough to put a park or okay. recreational um, yeah. opportunities on those properties. So part of this strategy is to see how we can integrate all of those things. Because mm. people, you know, when the, when the factories first came down river, they sited the factories and they had people live close to those factories mm -hmm. so they could walk. Now people are looking for quality of life. And yeah, so right. you can't just start again by a big industrial property, a heavy industrial property, and then think that people are gonna move right next to them. You have to right. have amenities mm -hmm. that are gonna be integrated across yeah. the board. That's, yeah. that's a really important question, Ron. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I think it's important for the communities to realize that you know, mm -hmm. the, if it's a privately held property, I mean, there's still value there. Mm -hmm. And a company like DTE is going to work very thoughtfully to mm -hmm. make it make sense for their corporation and for their shareholders. Yeah. Uh, public entities want to see tax revenue generated on site. And mm -hmm. when you look at a mixed-use redevelopment versus a recreational redevelopment, I think communities want to ask themselves, what's, what's ultimately going to help support tax base right. so we can have police, fire, and, and you know, garbage services to support yeah. the neighborhoods? That was, uh, I was actually going to ask you to comment on that because... Um, I think the reality of the situation, too, is that uh, obviously municipalities need to ensure that we have a healthy financial tax base um, to fund critical community services like police and fire, uh, you know, DPW and, and so forth. Um, so we have to, you know, understand the reality of the financial situation as well. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, um, you know, organizations that have left over the years and, and left these uh, sites with a lot, lot of potential and a lot of opportunity, they were significant contributors to the local tax base in the past. So we need to be thoughtful and mindful uh, of our financial health, you know, in terms of our municipalities and communities moving forward as well. So good point, Joe, I appreciate that. Uh, so with that, uh, I w did I miss anything important that we should maybe address, uh, you know, in terms of the grant? 
I mean, there's three major components to the grant, mm -hmm. but you can see through these conversation, it really goes very, yeah. very far out and far reaching it, it in, does. into yeah. communities. And mm -hmm. um, I guess I would mention going back to the strategic planning process. I mean, the that was a really intensive strategy that identified not just you know the need for an economic development department regionally, mm -hmm. the need for a master plan for mm -hmm. commercial industrial properties, and the need for small business assistance. But mm -hmm. like John just mentioned, you know, quality of life, recreational trails, vibrant downtowns, yeah. utilizing the waterfront. These are all components mm -hmm. to this larger, broader strategy that our mm -hmm. office will, will keep in our sights as we move forward with the grant. Absolutely. Well, John and Joe, it's been a pleasure to have you on the uh, podcast today. Appreciate your efforts and your leadership. I think that there's uh, a very bright future ahead uh, for the Downriver region, and we've we've definitely needed a regional economic development office, uh, and we're we're starting to get that thanks to the critical support of organizations like DTE Energy and, of course, the EDA and and uh, Detroit Regional Partnership and a lot of other partners that we work with on a regular basis. So I appreciate both of you being on the on the podcast today. Thanks for having us, Thanks, Ron. So uh, this is Ron Hendricks. I appreciate all of you joining us with on today's Destination Downriver podcast. I think you heard a lot of great information today. And uh, I think, you know, just like I am, very inspired and very, uh, you know, thrilled, I think, about the positive future that's facing the Downriver communities, especially with the leadership of uh, Tim Keyes, ja Jasmine Dancy, Joe Gruber, and John Diadana. Very excited about what's gonna be happening for our community, especially along the riverfront. So we'll see you next month on the Destination Down River podcast. Have a great day. Thank you again to our sponsors, Martinson Family of Funeral Homes and Allegra Marketing. With a special thanks to our production partners here at the new Taylor Media Center. Thanks for listening and watching. Please visit our website, destinationdownriver.com or our Facebook page and be sure to join us for next month's podcast.